but we had started uh, the book of uh, Isaiah the other day talking about the protection of God when he tells tells us to fear not. But then he in the 16th verse of uh, 41st chapter it says, Thou shalt fan them and the wind shall... Well, let's start at the 15th verse. For behold, I will make thee a new sharp threshing instrument, having teeth. Thou shalt thresh the mountains and beat them small, and shall make the hills as chaff. That's talking about his people in the last days using his word by walking in his word and his way with God as our protection, preaching his word, living the right life. You won't have any fear to face the foes that come up against you. And if you're decreasing and God's increasing your life, you start to understand what the will of God is and the word of God. That word and that will and that way sometimes starts at your very house because that's the first place you may have to lose. They say charity begins at home. Sometime before you can teach others, before you can get out and carry the gospel to others, your home life has to be right. That's why it says your foes or enemies will be those of your own household. It was Ahab was his spouse, but Ahab was his own problem within itself because he didn't follow God or he didn't want to follow God. But you had someone like Job where his spouse ended up his problem. He says those foes will be those of your own household. The enemies will be those, those of your own household. Sometime it would be self. But the fear comes and it may cause a division in your family to follow God and to walk by faith with, with what the Lord's telling you as you're reading and studying His Word. And, and His Spirit is working into your life. If you're full of fear, you won't make the necessary decision because you may be afraid to lose your husband or wife or your children or your parents or whatever. Sometimes it's hard to separate. That's why Abraham had such problems at first because initially he didn't separate from his father. He didn't separate from his nephew Lot. He didn't separate from some of the things God had told him to separate from those become an obstacle to him and that's what I was talking about in the book of Acts with Paul when he came to Ephesus and the people was given to idolatry and graven images things that we've created in our lives those images and idols has become the very cords of sin of the cords that bind us away from God that bind us away from doing the right thing in God uh, you may watch too much television or playing too much on the computer or interacting or socializing too much and you're not spending enough time in study in the Word of God. You're not spending enough time in prayer. Some things, your family or the people in your home or your relatives or the people on the job or wherever it may be, you're afraid actually to do what God's telling you to do, the minor things. And if you're afraid to do the minor things, you'll never get to the major things because your faith can't grow. Those are the ties that bind you. You're afraid to step out on faith. And so it ends up, you're, you know, you're bound in your own household or bound on your job or bound wherever you are. And you're not stepping out. And God can't use you as that fine threshing instrument because... You don't have the Word of God actively working in you. In other words, that part of the Word of God that you know, instead of allowing that division to come apart, to tear your family apart, to tear your home apart, to try to hold it back, you compromise on some of your values or some of the ways of things God leading you through fear of losing that, through fear of losing things that you have so you can't be that sharp threshing instrument because the word of God cuts it sharper than a two-edged sword 
it cuts to the marrow of the heart. Sometimes the words you say convicts people. You notice when Stephen was preaching to the people, when Stephen was preaching, as he was preaching and speaking the word of God, the people began to gnash them and run up on him with their teeth and start to bite and fight. And they, it was a mob violence that stoned him, killed him. Sometimes if people in your home, uh, your relatives uh, on the job, with, if they don't get their way, if you're standing up for the truth and you telling them what the word of God or what the spirit of God is giving you to tell them, you become afraid of confusing, confounding. We talked about that a week or so ago. That he says, if you become confused or confounded or dismayed, he'll allow that spirit to overcome you because he hadn't given you a spirit of fear and you succumbing to a spirit of fear. So I'm not saying that you should be brash in your words or whatever, but you have to grow as Abraham. It took him a while to grow in the grace and knowledge and understanding to where God could use him as a burnished sword, as a bronze sword, as he could use Jeremiah, uh, as he used Paul, as a threshing instrument. Sometimes it cuts them to the quick of what you say. A preacher, that's what the word of God does. It causes division. You could be offended by it. It convicts and then either draw or drive, but it accomplishes the word God sends it to. So some of us can't be used by God or won't be used by God because we have a fear within us. We have a built-in fear of the world and the things of the world and the ties that bind in those fears to us where it's not stepping out on faith. We're hearing the word of God but not a doer of the word of God. So don't we don't acquire more understanding, knowledge, or wisdom because fear stifles your growth. You heard of people saying you're paralyzed by fear. You can't accomplish things if you're afraid. That's why people, to begin to tie, to begin to do some great things for God, it's a leap of faith sometimes. It's a fearful thing to think, well, this won't happen or this night will come to pass because actual tithing is not waiting till you have excess enough to tie the tithe. Tiding, actually stepping out is giving God his first, stepping out first. Sometimes you have to say things to people that's going to hurt them. Your, your spouse may not say anything to you for two or three days. Sometimes they may go, as Paul said, sometimes that division has to come. We don't know what division comes or whatever has to come until we step out or take that leap of faith. So we see a lot of people not being able to take advantage of this scripture here that God makes them a sharp threshing instrument because of their naivety and not trusting God, not speaking what God had given them to speak or acting in the way God had given them to act, being afraid of man. The fear of man bringing a snare. It hinders you. It stops you from growing. And God gives you growth and that you grow abundantly and strong and rooted and grounded in him. He says, Thou shalt fan them and the wind shall carry them away and the whirlwind shall scatter them and thou shalt rejoice in the Lord and shall glory in the Holy Ones. Well, how can he remove these enemies? These people are humiliating you or confounding you or making you ashamed if you're not redressing the issue. If you're not being obedient unto God or being led by God, because you remember I, I read that scripture earlier. It says, uh, Behold, the 11 verse says, Behold, all they that were incensed against thee shall be ashamed and confounded. They shall be as nothing, and they shall strive with thee and shall perish. Well, how would they perish or whatever if they're not, if they have overcome you? Got the, God of or take them away, they'll perish some other way. But you'll be like Samson. You'll perish in the process by Samson working ignorantly and denying God by telling his his spouse his secret that would bind him, telling him where his strength lied. 
ended up dying himself, committing suicide along with the enemies. But Christ wants us to be overcomers in him. He writes to those of us who are overcomers. And that's what he wants you to do, to shine bright as a star to where he can use you against other people. You'll see those, and like I said, throughout the years, there are many people that, you know, it's no bragging or boasting. It makes me feel a little bit, uh, it gives me a little bit more confident. But a lot of people that came up against me or said things against me or different friends or relatives or those that I worked against, they're no longer here or have fallen, fallen into some kind of conflict or something that I don't even consider them anymore. So how many people, how much answered prayer? Because like I said, we have to be praying about these things. We have to pray for God to take our enemies out, for God to remove these obstacles and things that's hindering us. It's a Psalms 28. Let's read Psalms 28 by David. Let's see David saying here in this psalm about his enemies and those that are coming against him because you need God. This, In other words, you reacting to what people are doing or what you're coming against in your everyday life and that's what you praying to God that he work in that situation, that he act in that situation. Now when he's acting in that situation or something, we, we're not here to retract or uh, uh, get taken away with our hearts. Our heart goes out to these people that we see suffering or going through these things. Well, a lot of these things they've brought upon themselves or whatever. That's the judgment of God. The other day, uh, it was a young man that they say committed suicide in jail the first day that he was in jail after a, lengthy, a life sentence in jail. He committed suicide, but he had killed another individual. He had killed this individual and they sentenced him to a lifetime. But wasn't that the proper judgment of God? Maybe if the retribution of God was much quicker like that we wouldn't have to be paying for to keep so many people on death row or whatever. As as it sounded, it might sound a little bit strong or whatever, but if he'd taken a life, wasn't it only right for him to give up his life? If he had taken that young man's life it was only right for him to forfeit his life in that. It wasn't any future for him. It would be a lifetime in prison or whatever. And God said that if you take man's blood, man should take your blood. So when we're looking at, listening at what David said, this is a psalm of David here. And it's a prayer for the people, a psalm of David. Now this is a prayer for the people that David praying. And that's why I say we should pray the word of God. That's where the protection is, is in his word. If if we're praying these things and asking God to do these things, when God does them, isn't that an answer to prayer? So we should have prevailing prayer. Listen to what David says, unto thee will I cry, O Lord, my rock. Be not silent to me, lest if thou be silent to me, I become like them that go down to the pit. I'll be like the rest of these that's dying in their sin, or like those that's destroyed or vanquished, and be not silent. I want you to come to my rescue. I want you to act in my behalf. I'll try to read some of this in the living version. I think the amplified version. I when I was reading it in the other morning when I was reading it. But these are the prayers David was praying to God, Saul and a lot of other people. And Just think of how many people come up against you. Whoever it is, you have to take that individual, take that problem to God. He says uh, here, uh, a psalm of David, O oh Lord, you are my rock of safety. Please help me. Don't refuse to answer me. For if you are silent, I might as well give up and die. If you don't act in my behalf, I, I, I just was to die. You remember? As Saul pursued him around, David was so depressed and down that he said that he would sooner or later one of these days die at the hand of Saul. That's when he went to the land of, Philistine, of the Philistines. People can do some awful things to you. He says, listen to my prayers for mercy as I cry out to you for help. As I lift my hands towards your holy sanctuary, 
Don't drag me away with the wicked with those who do evil, those who speak friendly words to their neighbors while planning evil in their hearts. These are hypocritical people. These are people that say one thing and do another. They're talking as friends, but all of the time they're planning the downfall of their neighbors or planning someone else's demise. Give them the punishment they so richly deserve. That's what I was telling you about retribution and the punishment that those individuals deserve. He says, give them the punishment they richly deserve. Measure it out in proportion to their wickedness. Answer them the same thing that they have been sowing. Let let them reap those things for the things that they do. So the things that done up against David, David was asking God to answer them accordingly as they had done him because they were rewarding him evil for good. That's why we should go around doing good. That's how the self demise because you're not thinking about self. If we would do unto our neighbors, if we would treat our neighbors, the second commandment, doing unto our neighbors, if we would do unto others, as we would have others do unto us, as we would love thy neighbor as thyself. In other words, what you're doing for your neighbor or whatever, you decrease and you're doing that for him. So God's increasing in you because you're not looking out for self. God's growing in you because those that he commanded you to love, your enemies and your neighbors and those that mistreat you, you obeying God, but it's up to God to honor his word. And God says, I'll make you as a sharp threshing instrument. Because now I see why he says, if you give them a glass of water, give them food or drink, it's like heaping coals up on their head. While you're doing good and not backbiting and speaking evil of other people, those are the right and the godly things. To do. Well, that cuts. That's more stronger. Uh, 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 it has a bigger advantage than responding evil to evil. He says, render not evil for evil. Vengeance is mine. I'll repay, says the Lord. So as that threshing instrument, you're doing as God had commanded you to do, you walking in his word and in his way. So as you're doing that, uh, let's take this next scripture here. It says, measure it out proportion to their wickedness. Pay them back for all their evil deeds. Give them a taste of what they have done to others. They, are, they care nothing for what the Lord has done or for what his hands have made. So he will tear them down like old buildings and they will never be rebuilt. Praise the Lord for he has heard my cry for mercy. The Lord is my strength. And you remember I said he said he would strengthen us. If, if we would fear God and walk in his way, he would strengthen us. And our strength comes in praying his word back to him and in depending and trusting upon his word and having faith in him that he will accomplish the things for us, that he'll protect us, he'll be that refuge, he'll be that fortress that we run to. We run to in prayer and let all our cares and concerns be made known to the Lord. He says, the Lord is my strength, my shield from danger. I'm trusting him with all my heart. He helps me and my heart is filled with joy. I burst out in songs of thanksgiving. The Lord protects his people and gives victory to his anointed king. Save your people. Bless Israel, your special possession. Lead them like a shepherd and carry them forever in your arms. In other words, the people, the chosen people of God, the church, the, the, the ones that are of faith, protect and keep us. Keep those and we are forever in his presence and if we acknowledge and, and can, can conceive that, that God is our wall of protection and that he never leaves us, that he's always there. Sometimes we may not feel that he's there or whatever, but we are to know by his word that he is there even when we don't, we don't can't go by feelings. We walk by faith and not by sight. Sometimes we may not see our way clear. But we know that we have his protection. He's our protection. They were in the wilderness. 
going through the promised land, and as they was headed to the promised land, Exodus, the 23rd chapter of Exodus, the 20th through the 25th verse says, Behold, I sent an angel before thee. That's the messenger of the covenant. That's a lot of people say that that was uh, incarnate. That was Jesus. Uh, that was the old, the, the guardian angel in the Old Testament. But you remember God, Moses says he wouldn't go unless the Lord go with him. Well, we know now that God goes with us everywhere we go because he dwells within us. We carry the Lord within us. And by faith, he says, I'll never leave you and I'll never forsake you. He says, Behold, I sent an angel before you to keep thee in the way and to bring thee into the place which I have prepared. What's prepared for us? The kingdom of God. He had prepared a place for us in that now we're en route, we're on journey to that place in which the Lord had prepared for us. We are prepared people headed to a prepared place and God had set this for us in the last days that the when he tells us about the kingdom of God, he went away to prepare a place for us. Well, we know that he's getting this ready for us, and all we have to do is walk therein. The victory has already been won, and we've won the ba- we've the battle have already been won. All we have to do is walk within that. Uh, let me read this in the Amplified too, as I go along. It says, <clears throat> "Beware of him." And obey his voice, provoke him not, for he will not pardon your transgression, for my name is in him. Uh, it, that's the angel of the Lord. So we can't go around sinning. We have to be obedient to God. We can't be in the wrong and expect God to protect us in the wrong. Now, which he can, and so, but I'm not telling you that he will do that all the time. Because sometimes we die in our sin. That's what happened with Samson. Samson, the deaf Samson died. That doesn't mean he wasn't a child of God. But there were consequences for his disobedience. There be consequences for his disobedience. He said, for my name is in him. And he will not pardon your transgressions. For my name is in him. But if thou shall indeed obey his voice and do all that I speak. Then I will be an enemy unto thine enemy, and an adversary unto thine adversary. For my angel shall go before thee, and bring thee into the Amorites, and the Hittites, and the Parasites. Thou shalt not bow down to their gods, nor serve them, nor do after their works. But thou shalt utterly overthrow them, and break down their images. Ye shall serve the Lord your God, and he shall bless thine bread, and bless thine water, and will take away sickness from the midst of you. A lot of us are getting more sicker and different things are happening to us because we continually transgress God. We continually are walking in disobedience to him. Now, I'm not saying that's the cause or the reason for all sickness because all of us has a wave of something in life. Sometimes God gives us a bear or a different direction in life. So, let me not let not you understand that I'm saying that's the reason for all sicknesses or infirmities. But he said that he would take those things away from us. So in his promise, as part of his promise, we see one day that we wouldn't have to deal with sicknesses as infirmities. His promise in the millennial reign, in that last part of where we reign and rule with him that thousand years as the children of God, that he's given us, that's when you're truly born again in that millennial reign. In other words, that's when you'll have the incorruptible body. That's when the mortal puts on immortality. That's when we actually, in a human, in, in, in on earth, that will be done on earth. So we're in his kingdom. His kingdom has come. Now we are ru- ruling and reign with Christ. We've earned that that ability or we've earned that sonship to be able to do those things with him and that's why he says your enemies will be my enemies though your adversaries will be mine but what happens is he says 
Thou shalt not bow down to their gods, nor serve them, nor do after their works. What has happened is, as in the book of Ephesians, the 19th chapter, I mean the book of Acts, the 19th chapter, as when Paul came to Ephesus, we're bowing down and, and making graven images and idols all the time. We're, we're given to idolatry, and I, I told you, anything that you worship or idolize, you become a servant of that. You become a servant to those things. You have to come out of the world. So what is your addiction? What, what are you addicted to more than God? What is it that takes up or consumes more of your time or goes before God? Is it television? Is it eating? Is it friends or wasting time? Is it entertainment? What are the things in our lives, what are the cords that bind us? What are the graven images that we have made in our lives? Is it our children? Our spouses? What are the images and idols that has come before God to remove the protection, to remove that fellowship at hand to where we're not strong in God as he had exalted or told us to be. Now, there are a lot of his people, when we're talking about protection, that he knows that has to die certain deaths. Certain things has to happen to some of us. That's the course of action that God had set in motion. Uh, look at the book of Matthew in the book of Matthew in the 23rd chapter here. So, like I was saying, just because something happens to an individual or sickness or their matter of death doesn't mean that they wasn't children of God. Matthew, the 23rd chapter, starting at the 29th verse, he says, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, because ye build the tombs of the prophets and garnish the sepulchres of the righteous and say, If we had been in the days of our father, we would not have been partakers with them in the blood of the prophets. Wherefore ye be witnesses unto yourselves that ye are the children of them which kill the prophets. Fill ye up then the measure of your fathers, ye serpents, ye generation of vipers. How can you escape the damnation of hell? Jesus talked about hell frequently and on a many of time, and this is what he's telling the Pharisees. This is what he's talking, telling the church people, the religious people. Just because you're inside a church and you go to church doesn't mean you're born again or that you're doing the will of God or that you're saved from the wrath of God to come because you could be just as big a hypocrite as anybody else in there. You're just hiding or think you're, think you're hid within the church. He says, Wherefore, behold, I send unto you prophets and wise men and scribes. In other words, people that, are, that, has what, that have wisdom, uh, people that know the law, that know the word of God. He says, And some of them you shall kill and crucify. We know that the apostles was killed and crucified. We know at this day and time there are a lot of people that die in the name of Jesus Christ, die for serving the Lord, die for standing up to the Lord. There are many divisions. That's why Paul was telling about the husband and the wife, if a believer and an unbeliever, uh, if, the amount, if the amount of Christianity gets there, one spouse may leave the other spouse uh, uh, however God may bring it about in that household, but you can't let that spouse or that child, that parent or whoever binds you from serving the Lord. If division shall come, division shall come. You're not causing the, the division, but what you have become as a threshing instrument, you've become that sharp dividing rod the word of God is what's breaking you apart you ought to be obey God than man so instead of holding on to some things trying to keep those things maybe that's a weight of sin that's besetting you and you have to toe the, toe the line you have to walk in the word of God 
That's what happened to Paul. A lot of people wonder was Paul divorced? Uh, had Paul's wife died? Uh, what happened with Paul's wife? Maybe it happened when he came into Christianity or whatever. Because we know it's, it's hard serving the Lord. And it's hard to find a family that's serving the Lord. And it's hard because the pull of the world is hard to get away from. And a lot of us, if we're not close to the Lord or seeking the Lord with all our heart and mind, we, go, we would hinder our spouse, our children, our parents, or whoever from following the Lord because you, you misery loves company. And you're not, the, you're not, a lot of people don't like to walk that road alone. Uh, 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 they fear being left alone. They fear the separation that comes from this. But he says, uh, many of them you will scourge, the wise men and the scribes, and some of them you shall kill and crucify. Some of them you shall scourge in your synagogues and persecute them from city to city that upon you may come all the righteous blood shed upon the earth from the blood of the righteous Abel unto the blood of Zechariah, son of Barashah, whom you slew between the temple and the altar. So that's what I say. Not that God's not protecting his people. That's what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were saying. They know God is able to deliver and keep, but some will die. Some will be persecuted. Some will lose their homes, their jobs, their family, relationships, and things. But this is part of the sacrifice that we have to make. So some people say, well, look, I'm not going to go to church at night. I'm not going to do this because of my husband or my wife or, or my cheering or whatever. And I was telling you I was upset coming in because I don't want anything coming in between me and my God. Not my children, not my grandchildren. Not any of my relatives, not my wife, not not anything. I don't want my my own self, my laziness to stay at home. I don't feel good tonight. I I have a headache. He says you have to even deny your own self. There are a lot of times that you could serve the Lord, but you talk yourself out of going. You talk yourself out of doing. A lot of things that you know you shouldn't do. The uh, I was upset with with uh, a telemarketer the other day that worked for a company, and I was answering a survey, but something in that wasn't listening at that something, and I was answering that survey, and something had told me, wait, just cool off before you do that. But then I was answering that survey, when I got pushed partway through that survey, I realized one of the questions that they asked made me realize that they were talking about the previous day that I had talked with that company. And it wouldn't let me go back. It wouldn't let me go back. So I started answering the questions. The survey question said, this is wrong. I didn't understand that you were talking about the previous representative. I thought you was talking about the young lady I had talked with that morning, that day or whatever. I said, this is wrong because the young lady I talked with the previous day, she had did all she was supposed to do, and she was right. And if the survey was about her, I wanted to give her all good marks, but my complaint was with the one I had just talked to. But something had blinded me or something where I didn't see it. And sometimes, that's why I say sometimes we could do wrong. Uh, uh, we may make a mistake. We may, may do one thing. But sometimes the spirit of bring it make you cognizant of it to cause you to slow down and be more circumspective in what you're doing. It wasn't that I was being vindictive or whatever, but sometime when you at a restaurant or having service by some representative of a company or whatever, you have to let the company know it. You have to let them know well, this is a really not a good employee or this is the way I was treated or whatever. We can't be naive about everything because as that sharp threshing instrument, God had put us here for truth and righteousness and we have to maintain what's right. That's why Joseph's brother sold him into slavery. You remember 
when his father sent him to check up on his brothers to see how he was doing. Well, he sent Joseph because he, he Joseph was a responsible man. He was a man of God. His father had a lot of confidence in him. And it says Joseph gave an evil report on his brothers. In other words, being a righteous person, he spoke of the evil they was doing. He spoke of what they was doing wrong. They hated him for that. They sold him into slavery. So that's what I'm saying. Don't cover for people. Don't don't reward evil for good. That's why the country is the way it is. I have a an article that I'm paring down to get ready for the sin, y'all. It was in the Atlantic the other day about how pathetic the men are in this nation and in this country. With this last election with the men, we see that this is a, a the GOP party is a a pathetic party. There's no men in there. The actual truly righteous men are leaving the party. It was like Jeff Flake and some of the others that stood up to this guy that came because whether you right or wrong, if you if, as a deacon, as another minister, whatever, if you wrong, you're wrong. And I'm going to tell you you're wrong and I'm not going to side with you in your wrong or whatever. I'm not going to go along with it. I wasn't a, a, a Bill Cassidy fan for a while, but I would vote for him for governor. If he ran for governor, I would vote for him because I believe he would stand for the right and not give in to the wrong before uh, Landry or Kennedy or any of those would. I would vote for him over a Democrat, some of the Democrats that we had, because I think he's a conscionable man that would do right. So when it comes to doing wrong or standing, sometimes as a man you have to stand alone. That's why Christ told them, are you going to go also? Because they say that's a hard saying you say. And that's what Paul ran into as a sharp threshing instrument. He was in Ephesus and everybody was given now, given to graven images. And Paul could have been afraid a lot of times when you're and everybody in your family and everything is against you. It's hard to stand against that, but that's when you need God the most. That's when God is in you. When you're weak, that's when he makes you strong. You have to be able to stand up against those things. You can't give in to that evil or that wickedness. Look at the 18th chapter of Acts. See, because if you know God's protected you in a, in a keeper, you're not going to fear me and you're going to be able to deliver the word of God. And that's what happens. The preachers now are not delivering the word of God. That What they're doing, they're looking for accolades. They're looking for prosperity. They're looking for a crowd. They're looking for popularity. And this is a narrow way that we're walking. This is a narrow way. This is an unpopular way, especially in this nation. This has become a wicked, fallen nation. And God only has a few people that's walking within. That's why when he sent Paul to these places, look at the book of Acts, the 18th chapter, the 8th through the 11th verse. Here it says, uh, And he departed thence and entered into a certain man's house named Justice, one that worshiped God, whose house joined hard to the synagogue. And Crispus and the chief ruler of the synagogue believed on the Lord with all his house, and many of the Corinthians hearing believed and were baptized. Then spake the Lord to Paul in the night by vision, Be not afraid, but speak and hold not thine peace. For I am with thee, and no man shall set upon thee to do thee hurt, to hurt thee. For I have much people in this city. And he continued there a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. So, that's the famine we have in the land. That's the parched people. It's a famine of hearing the word of God. How can you be protected if you hadn't heard of the protector? So you have to be able to, he says, ye are my disciples, so go into all nations preaching and teaching them all things which I've taught unto you, making disciples. So we have to speak the word of God. That's our rod. That's our shaft. That's our sword. 
That's what we use to fight with is the word of God. We're not in a carnal warfare. Listen at this 41st chapter of Isaiah. Yeah, he said, you remember all these fear nights I was saying, 13 verse, for I the Lord will hold thy right hand, saying unto thee, fear not, I will help thee. Fear not, thy worm, Jacob, and ye men of Israel. I will help thee, said the Lord, and thy redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. It's nothing more spineless or weak or fragile than a worm. You know, you can mash a worm into pieces. A worm has no ability to protect itself. But it says, fear not, thy worm, Jacob. If we are serving of the Lord, what do we have to fear? Though we may have sickness or frailty, uh, we're very insignificant. In God's hand, he can make us a polished shaft. He can make us swords and spears. Nothing is impossible for the Lord to do through and for us. He says, Behold, I will make you a new sharp threshing instrument. That's what he'll make that worm. He says, I'll make you a new sharp threshing instrument having teeth. Teeth is something that has bite to it. If salt has lost its savor, it's no good for anything but to be cast out. So if you can't stand up and speak the word of God, if you won't defend yourself, if you won't do what God's given you to do, we have a problem here. Because you have to speak all of the things in this life, declare the whole word of God. He says here, uh, Thou shalt fan them, and the wind shall carry them away, and the whirlwind shall scatter them, and thou shalt rejoice in the Lord. These people that's provoking you or whatever, you must still tell them what thus saith the Lord. Whether it draw them or drive them, God's word has some effect. We're not in charge of that effect. We're just a hammer that's nailing nails. It is God that makes give the effect. He says, when the poor and needy seek water and there is none and their tongue faileth for thirst, I, the Lord, will hear them. I, the God of Israel, will not forsake them. What did I say that the poor and needy was doing in the book of Psalms? It was David in need of help. He says, I'll cry unto you for him. I'll cry unto you. I'll come to you and I'll ask you for the protection. So this is a dry land. He says he's going to cause water to flow in the dry land. Go back and read that song where he said, he'll water us. He'll give us the What does God's word does? It waters us. That's where we receive our nourishment and our strength from the word of God. He says, he that believeth on me as the scripture has said, out of his belly will flow rivers of living water. He that is of thirst and he that is hunger, let him come unto me and drink. Let him come unto me and drink. So the poor and needy, who are the poor and needy? So I, you don't need to be in a mega church or whatever. You don't need to pay for this. Isaiah says, the 55th chapter, Ho, everyone that thirsted, come unto ye unto the waters, and he that had no money, come ye, buy and eat. Ye come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Well, the true price in what you buying it with is you have to lose self. The sacrifice if you have to die to self. When you come unto God, you lose that. But he's going to give you rivers of water. He's going to give you something you don't have to pay money for. This is not to the rich or whatever. You don't have to buy tickets to see this. He says, preaching of the gospel. How can they hear without a preacher? So he's going to send preachers to preach. That's how faith comes, by hearing the word of God. See, but it's a lack of hearing the word of God. It's falling on parched and dry ground, he says, his people are thirsted. He says, Wherefore do you spend money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which satisfied not? Hearken diligently unto me, and ye shall eat that which is good, and let your soul delight itself in fatness. Continuing on with that 41st chapter, it says, When the poor and needy seek water, and there is none in their tongue, fell it for thirst, I, the Lord, will hear them. I, the God of Israel will not forsake them. 
I will open up rivers in high places and fountains in the midst of the valleys. I, I think I preached on that Saturday. As though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil because the Lord is with me. His rod and staff comfort me. He's going to make it me lie down and drink from still water. He's going to cause me to be full and have abundance of food. He's going to give the bread of life. He's going to give me shade because he's my protector. He's my provider. He says, I will plant in the wilderness the cedar, the shittim tree, and the myrtle tree, and the oil tree. I will set in the desert the fir tree, and the pine, and the box tree. There they may see and know and consider and understand together that the hand of the Lord had done this, the Holy One of Israel. In other words, he's going to turn the desert into a habited places. He's going to put oases there. It's like a cool shed tree. He's going to put all types of cedar and fir tree. He's talking about a garden. He's talking about where things flow right and does right. We're in, the, in under the protecting hand of God. He's our keeper. He's our sustainer. God keeps us wherever we may go and whatever we may do. He's our protector. He says, let them bring forth those idolaters, all of the people that are against you. Let them come forth and present their case. He's going to bring them to nothing. But you must, we must stand in that day. We must proclaim the word of God. We must make a visible stand so that he could punish those for doing unto his chosen people. He's going to punish those for those that block your path. Those that throw stumbling blocks before you. Those that hindered you. Those that came up against you was provoking you. God said they're going to be as nothing. You will be able to look back and consider all of those I used to work with, they're gone on in. Mm-hmm. All of those people that used to give me problems and troubles, they're not here anymore. God has opened up a way where I didn't see a way. Praise He's overcome those that were stronger than and, and the way the reason you see this is because we're constantly battling battles. In the book of Revelation, the third chapter, the tenth verse says, Because thou hast kept the word of my patience, I also will keep thee from the hour of temptation, which shall come upon all the earth to try them that dwell upon the earth. I tell you, perilous times was coming. But he says, Because you've kept my word, you've obeyed that which I've given you. You walked in the way. He says, I'm going to keep you in that hour of temptation. I'm going to keep you doing the tribulation. I'm going to keep you doing all these times. It's kind of like a lot of the people preach about the rapture and being hidden or whatever. But it sounds like that God's going to show us that in the midst of trouble, he can keep you right in the midst of that trouble. Yeah. That he could keep you in the line through that he could keep you in the fiery furnace. So that's why it says, come out of the world and be not a part of the world because those that are right next to you will wonder how you're going through what you're going through. Those in your very family don't want to know how is this so. Those in the church which you want to know because, see, it's a lot of hypocrites in the church that will follow these ways and a lot of things going to happen because... God has to separate the wheat from the chaff. He has to separate the pretenders. Uh, The Amplified Word Bible says, Because you have guarded and kept my word of patient endurance. In other words, have held fast the lesson of my patience with its expected endurance that I give you. I also will keep you safe from the hour of testing or trial which is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell upon the earth. It's, they're not going to be able to deceive the very elect by you because you're kept by the word. You're hid in the word. If you would abide in the word, if you would be hid in the word, 
that word of obedience is a shelter to run to. It's a fortress in the time of need. Everything is in the word. This is about the word. That same word that was made flesh. That same word that dwelt among men. It's all about Christ. Our all in all. Everything is in Christ. It's not about us. If we can stop this from being about us. If we can die to self. Then God can protect us. If we would stop trying to protect ourselves. If we would lose our lives. Then we can save our lives. If we continually trying to save our lives. We will lose those lives. We have to turn it all all over to the Lord and grow in Him. He who abided in the shadow of the Almighty. That's a mighty strong strength for a shadow to protect you. That's a mighty strong strength that He's our covering. We have to abide under the blood. The protection is under the blood. Uh, so it, it has no room for idolatry in the things of this world. And once we start to pull them off, our self-image has to be destroyed. Job tried hard to protect a certain image. Uh, look at Job, the third chapter. We'll close after we talk about Job's destruction of his self-image. After Job's self-image, uh, that what Job thought he was, a thought of the image was destroyed. Job, the third chapter, the 26th, 23rd to the 26th verse says, Why is light given to a man whose way is hid, and whom God had hedged in? For my sighing cometh before I eat, and my roarings and a pour out like the waters. For the thing which I greatly feared is come upon me, and that which I was afraid of is come unto me. I was not in safety, neither had I rest, neither was I quiet. Trouble, yet trouble came upon me. Job tried hard to protect this certain image. This was not entirely wrong, but despite his righteousness, his projection was far from the perfection that he might have thought he was showing, as the testimony of his three friends indicate. In fact, it was fraught with a major failure in his heart, which God clearly saw and determined to cleanse him of. So God saw something in Job. When Job had that view of himself as somebody, God has to purge and cleanse that out of him until he could see his insignificance, that fatal flaw in him. God cleansed him of that. And that's when he said, what did Job do? He says he repent in dust and ashes. What he thought he knew. See, God had to bring Job to naught. Not what it took. It, it destroyed his whole family. Killed its sons. Lost everything he had. He said his wife didn't seem like who she was. Job's image of self is shattered before his eyes. Should he defend the image of himself or should he repent? Because this was Job calling God on the carpet, you know. He wanted to have counsel with God. He was going to stand and plead his case to God. And see, that's what God's asking in the book we're in, in Isaiah, the 41st chapter. Let these idols come and plead their case. God doesn't stop people from pleading their case. That's the thing with hypocrites and people. Sometimes you can plead your case and then be proven wrong. And, and that's the thing about it. What is a stronger argument? For me to make accusations about what type person you are and how you are or whatever. Or for me to just let things run its course and let everybody see what type person you are. I don't have to make accusation. You showing this yourself. In other words, sometimes we prove in ourselves. That's why I say something has to run its course. 
you have to allow something to become before and it then Job realized what he was or what he had did. Because all God did when God came, God asked the question. He said, okay, stand up like a man, Job. Gord up your lungs. You've been asking for this. You tell me who did this. Because without the understanding of God, why he's doing something and what he's doing, we can't say, well, God, it's unfair for you to do this to me. Uh, why should I bear this sickness? Or what? No. All you have to do is like Job said, though he slay me, yet shall I serve him. We, we we don't we can't boast of anything that we have or any accolades. That's why the idols that we serve, those people that's billionaires, billionaires or trillionaires or whatever they should be, it's our money that made him that way. It's your money that bought the jerseys. It's your money that paid for the tickets. Is is you making that? You've made an idol. That person is no more than you are. Each man are created equally. We're all the same. Just because you have more money than me, that don't mean that you a better man than I am. It happens to the rich and the, and the poor alike, the just and the unjust. It rains, flame and fortune and different things happen. We don't know why God causes things to happen. See, when we get high-minded and proud, and we think it's our beauty, we think it's our looks, our intelligence. Well, what do you have? God hadn't given you. Yeah. Praise God. He's the one who had given you power to get wealth. And should he, to repent may have been quite embarrassing, but as the story unfolds, we see that Job does not perceive that anything is wrong with him. Even if something were wrong, it would have been a major embarrassment to have it exposed. He is so unaware, so aware of himself as a human being, that for quite a while he does not perceive that the problem resides in his heart. Therefore, he does not do what we all do. He defends and justifies himself. Don't we all defend and justify ourselves? That's how we all are. Because the problem is a heart problem. We can't see the problem. No man find, hunts after God or whatever... God has to draw you. We don't look for God. God has to draw you. God has to cause you to seek Him. If it wasn't for God, we wouldn't go to God. God draws us to Him. He reveals these things to us. The book of Job is a story of the destruction of Job's self-image. It can also be summed up as a book of human nature. A book of human nature. Now, what happens here is friends are unsuccessful in their efforts because they perceive his condition as being the result of sins that he committed. And that's what I was trying to tell you earlier, that just because you have a certain sickness or something's going on in your life, that doesn't mean that you're a sinner or that's the reason that consequence or problem lies there. So his friends was wrong because... They was charging Job with being a sinner, Job being a wicked person, Job's children as being wicked people or not. They had a carnal interest also. They were very carnal. If it wasn't for Job praying for them, they would have, you know, God would have destroyed them. What he is going through is just retribution for conduct that Job had managed to hide from others for so many years that Job was a hypocrite. So that's why this is happening. So that's why a lot of people say about us that, well, he was a bad guy. That's why this happened. And that's why we're saying I have to cautiously say things because we can't say one thing caused another. We don't know about cause and effect. That's why judgment and all these things have to be left in the hands of God. You understand what I'm saying? They was blaming Job. Read that book of Job and see that they blamed Job all kinds of ways. They had Job stripped down to that. He had robbed the widowless and that he had did all the, the widows and he had did all these things. Job knew he hadn't did any of those things or whatever. But that's what I say. <clears throat> Even though we're not a great sinner like some of the other people and some of the outward sin, 
some of our sin is in our heart. We may have bitterness. We may have resentfulness. We have we may have some arrogance or pride that's deep seated seated that we can't see. And so Job had a problem. God is not a capricious God. Once God allows something to come, it's because God's trying to do the better thing for you. All of the things he tossed out of you, all things work together for good for those that love the Lord. So whatever's going on in your life, God's working out. So you should see God as your protection, as your protector, and as your keeper because by faith you realize you're his chosen person, that you're a child of God. That's what you rejoice in. In that being a child of God, you know you'll never lose your salvation and you're safe in his hands and he is a keeper. Mm -hmm. Heavenly Father, as we come before you this night, Lord,